All right. There we go. Cool. I'll, I'll line it up in post anyway. Yeah. But it makes it a little <laughs> bit easier if you can hit it pretty close to the same time. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, actually, the the last episode of Future Chat was the first one I edited on my own. Oh. Because um, I, I don't know if you know. Well, I guess it's the whole reason why you're here is Rob is... is I, w- I wouldn't call it AWOL. He's taking a leave a leave of absence sure. while he's gearing up for the birth of his, his child. So um, That's pretty selfish if you ask me, but... Well, <laughs> in my opinion, I, I'd say so as well, but I mean, it's, it's his prerogative. That's right, that's right. <laughs> uh, so the editing responsibilities are left up to me, and, and last last show of Future Chat was the first one I edited, so... And how'd you find it? It, w- it was interesting. Um, it was a lot harder than I expected. Um, actually, sorry, I'm saying it's the first one. I epi- I edited the first episode of Desktop. Right. Or this last episode of Desktop. Future Chat was the f- second one that I edited. So Desktop was easier than Future Chat because there's three people mm-hmm. in Future Chat, two in Desktop. So yeah, yeah. It was a bit easier to get all that kind of... And what program are you using? Just Audacity. Audacity, okay, yeah. Nothing, nothing heavy duty or anything like that. So, uh, but no, that it was, it was fun, you know, mixing all the tracks and trying to get my levels right and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was definitely an experience. It's definitely a science. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I obviously you, you edit your own mm-hmm. shows or, or do you take the, uh, recorded audio just off of, um, Skype or whatever software you guys use? So it depends on what show we're talking about. The first podcast I ever did, whatever this is, which is still going uh, sporadically throughout the month, is a Skype call. And my co-host has never felt comfortable trying to record into an audio program. Just doesn't understand it or want to get into it. So I just take the recorded Skype call on his end. I am recording directly into an audio program on my end. So mine usually sounds really great. <laughs> oh, good. And then I do as much as I can with the actual Skype recording quality um, right. for, for him specifically. Uh, right. For all the other podcasts I've done, they've been people that are in the room with me at the same time. So it's for like plugging all the mics into a recording interface, making sure that each one has a separate track, recording onto the computer, and then being able to edit that after the fact. Right. So, so the whatever this is, that's kind of a Roderick on the line situation. Very, very similar. That's actually a very <laughs> apt uh, description of it, with keyboard clicks and uh, and all the all the other stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't have keyboard clicks, it's not a real podcast. <laughs> yeah. What are you even doing? <laughs> I know they have like filters for removing mouse clicks. Right. Um, I'm not sure if they have a similar thing for keyboard. You know, depending on how much money you want to spend, there is this company called Isotope, I think is what it's called. Uh, there's like a very basic like $150 and you can go all the way up to like $1,500. And it's supposed to be like the top end fixing those types of issues. Like... So someone was mm. recording in a, in a room that's really echoey or it's like there's a fan going on behind you and cutting that out completely uh, it goes through there and actually is able to cut all that stuff out so i'm assuming there probably is somewhere around there getting rid of keyboard clicks or something so is that an algorithm it uses or does it is it a person going through and actually doing all the editing no it is actually a program a machine learning algorithm so i think just like you would normally you want to record the room silently as much as possible 
they take that, analyze it, and then they're able to go into the background and just take it all out. Uh, you still have to oh, do okay. some fudging just so people don't sound weird and, and that sort of thing, but hmm. yeah. Today, I kind of wanted to talk a bit about, about audio sure. because we, we've kind of, we've touched on some of the other technology aspects of our lives and I mean, streaming services we've touched on a couple times, but I think as far as the actual audio technology, um, I'm, I'm very interested in that, but I, I don't have a lot of technical background in it outside of just my everyday experience with uh audio yeah. technology and even then it's like i mean you, you grab a pair of like ten dollar earbuds off the rack and <laughs> throw them in your ears and you're usually fine with that but sure. i know that there's a lot more depth that you can get into when it comes to audio technology so i'm i'm very interested to to talk a bit about that with you because um i mean that's your job now. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it was before, but it, it definitely is now. It definitely um, is And now. I guess, but before we get started, maybe uh, for, for our listeners, uh, I mean, again, Rob's not here today. So uh, today we have Kyle Marshall. And uh, Kyle, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Oh, boy. So I guess I'll just start with what is currently going on in my life. I am a uh, born and bred Albertan. I live currently in Calgary, Alberta. And I run a studio called Media Lab that is downtown Calgary, and it's there to help people tell their stories, whether that is through audio form, like a podcast, or whether it's through video form, like an online video for YouTube or Vimeo or any of those other types of services. That is basically what my full-time gig is here currently, is being able to help businesses and individuals come in and be able to use this kind of new media technology in their in their everyday lives. I also, because I love having too many things to do in my life, I'm also running different events through Media Lab, but I also have a co-host two different podcasts. I also upload two videos each week to YouTube, and I'm constantly finding other things to fill my like not available time with. Cool. And so what are those podcasts that you're on? Good question. This is how I'm terrible at marketing. So (laughs) I do a podcast with my friend Grant who lives down in California. So we do a weekly-ish Skype call together. It's called Whatever This Is. It's kind of like a comedy pop culture podcast. And then the second one I do is called Assumptions, which I co-host with my friend Daniel. And that is kind of billed as a atheist and a Christian have a polite conversation with each other. Whereas I am the atheist, my friend Daniel is the devout Christian, and we were kind of sick and tired of seeing talking heads on news and on radio just yell at each other and not actually sit down and listen to one another. And so that's the show we created. We bring up different topics. We listen to the other person's point of view. It's interesting, having done the show, how often we actually agree with one another in the overall, (laughs) but maybe not on the specifics. (laughs) So it's very few times we actually outright disagree with one another. But even when we do, we still are friends afterwards. Yeah. Cool. And and Assumptions is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. So uh, those interests, you can check out Kyle's show there. Um, And whatever this is... uh, is there a place they can find that show? Yeah, you can go onto Apple Podcasts and uh, Google Play. Those are the two main places that you can find it. Cool. Uh, so, so you did mention that you know you're you, you have your own media lab, yeah, and uh, and I mean that's that's why I feel that audio technology is a good a good kind of topic for us to to talk about today. Um, so, I guess maybe just starting with how like our experiences with audio and and I guess music. It's probably the most typical case of audio experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and how your interest in audio or and technology in general kind of came to where it is today i mean like like growing up um what 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 was it like kind of getting into music and audio and and the sure. technology thereof you know i often kind of joke around saying that I grew up having an awful taste in music, which is not entirely untrue. So I grew up on a small farm a couple hours north of Calgary in this little town called Rocky Mountain House, which always sounds like a made-up place, I think, to a lot of people, but that was the legitimate name of the small town I grew up in, on a farm just outside of it. And my family, or at least my mom and dad, they were primarily country music listeners. And I still do have an affinity for what I call real country music and not like modern day country music. And I guess that is where I started from. However, on the country station, and I only was thinking about this recently, and I think this is what got me into podcasting years later, but on this country station, they had at noon and I think at five o'clock twice a day, there was the show hosted by a man called Paul Harvey. I don't know if you remember him or not. He, the, the name sounds familiar. Yes, he has since passed away many, many years ago. But his his show was The Rest of the Story. And so he would tell these really interesting stories about really famous people. But he would always save who the person was until like the very, very end oftentimes. Mm. So he would tell this really fascinating, in-depth story something that you may never have heard before and then like hit you with that interesting hook at the very end and be like and this is who this person was and that's the rest of the story that you don't hear about and I was always fascinated I always wanted to make sure that I was around the radio especially when I was home from school (laughs) or during the summertime so I could listen at 12 I could listen at five o'clock to the two different programs he was doing that day just a great radio voice that definitely helped me get really interested in audio storytelling originally was was from them uh if we flash forward many many years later definitely i was getting into music i i've always had a very different interest in music where growing up i was not into necessarily the popular bands or the popular music groups i still was like i was aware of them and i knew the songs but my love was actually musical theater I was like mm. obsessed with Broadway and like the history of Broadway, mostly because my grade five teacher brought in the cast album of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And for whatever reason, just flipped a switch on in my brain. I was like, this is what my thing is. And so it was me just collecting cast albums as much as I could and, and listening to that. And that still actually exists to this day. It's something that's never, ever really left me. Uh, music was something that I got really more into, I would say, like pop music and rock music in in university, where I was actually introduced to a lot of stuff that I hadn't really been partial to growing up and started collecting Rolling Stone magazines and reading up on the history of stuff and kind of obsessing out about about that sort of thing. So when you were listening to these these albums, like, did you have like a Walkman or oh. was it like a tape deck that you had to kind of get tapes for like how how how, what was that situation like both you hit them right on the head so i am old enough i was born in 1983 so i definitely was coming of age in the 90s but uh my very first audio player was the very classic yellow sony walkman like that you see in commercials and uh in the throwbacks and stuff like that it was that yellow like indestructible yellow walkman you could throw it downstairs and there was nothing that was going to break that thing and i had that for years i would listen to tapes on that 
I went through many different headphones to it, but I, I still had the actual Walkman <laughs> itself, and I loved that thing. I would have, I'm, I'm actually curious now if that's still around somewhere in my parents' house. I bet it is. <laughs> it probably still works. Right. Uh, and then I did what I think it was a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. I was actually given my own tape deck. So it was just a little compact, little stereo that you could either plug into the wall or I think it took like probably like 18 D batteries or something like that <laughs> to, to power it uh, for like an hour. But I would listen to a lot of stuff uh, for, from there. Tune it to the radio because it had a tuner on it as well. And then just put the tapes in and flip them around <laughs> when they had to go to the next next side right yeah yeah i'm i'm similar similar situation like i was born in 88 so similar uh my coming of age was more just as anti-skip cd players were Mm. becoming a thing yes but uh the the walkman like the tape walkman was still very much being it was at least being sold in stores because that was my first uh portable music device so i mean like my parents i guess they wouldn't let me get a CD player maybe or or because the tape thing was an option like that's what well, you're going to get this if that's what yeah. you want kind of thing um so like i had like a boombox in my bedroom like nice. a stereo that could play CDs and then it could record to a tape nice so yeah, i'd yeah. get i'd get CDs from the library and then put them on tapes and then listen to the tapes in my in my player. Okay, so you just reminded me of something I had forgotten for years. That's that's amazing. Me and my sister would actually host our own radio show using those blank oh, cassette tapes. So that's awesome. we would basically like push record and record our voices and be like, "Okay, next up is going to be this song and whatever, do our little chatter thing." And then we would like record from another CD or a tape onto that cassette tape. That is amazing. This is all real time, of course, because <laughs> it was a tape, so it had to be real time that you were doing this. Right. Work. And then, yeah, coming back on, like, okay, that was that song, and then we do our little banter stuff again. And <laughs> that's So you thing. were, like, yeah. podcasting before it was cool. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> it, that's so good. Yeah, it was very much against copyright, but we were, <laughs> we were still doing it. Thankfully, they weren't uh, going after the, the 10-year-olds in their... In their bedrooms. <laughs> That's right. Sony just shows up on my door. We heard what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 my biggest memory I think from growing up is is having the tapes with the CD player, but because like you only had the one CD or the one tape, right? And like it wasn't an, it wasn't an MP3 CD that I was using. It was just like a straight like CD. I have to listen to that tape or CD, like that's the only thing I had to listen to. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd listen to that one tape or that one CD for like a month yeah. just on repeat until I got tired of it. And then I just like switch it out. That's and right. Just get, that's right. Get a new one. But like, I just remember carrying around like a Beatles, like I had the Beatles one yeah, CD, of course, like yeah. the, the top I think, hits. I think everyone had that CD for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I just listened to that for like a month and I just lit, sing the song, sing along with the songs. Like it's one of those novelties that, you don't realize was even a time in our lives. I think like, like in these days where you have like a streaming service that can stream like literally millions of songs. It's one of those things. And I, and I grapple with this is that at, at the same time of me loving the modern day and being like, Oh, I like this song. I can listen to it right now. (laughs) Like I don't have to do anything. I can listen to it right now. But there is something to be said about like, you only had this stuff, and so you kind of cherished it a little bit more. It's like, well, these are the only tapes, or these are the only CDs I have, and so that is my option. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, and even then, if you were going to go get more music, like you're at the mercy of what was ever at the store That's right. or at the library or whatever, right? Like, and then, you know, uh, Kazar, like those types of services right, came yeah, on yeah. where you could download whatever you want. And that was kind of the uh, the pioneer of digital music, yeah. basically, when, when people were just literally burning CDs and putting them online for people to, to download. Yeah, and I didn't get the internet into our house until I was in grade 7, which what would that have been? That would have been like me 13 or 14 years old at that point. But because I was living out on the farm, like going on the internet was not an easy experience. We were on dial-up, modem, phone line type things. So doing anything just took like forever so the idea of even trying to download a song was probably like, no, this is ne- this is never going to happen, and I'm not going to even try to do it. That was something that happened when I went off to university, for sure. Yeah. To, to be clear, I didn't download myself either for the same reason. Like, yeah. we didn't get 56K internet in our house until about the same time. Yeah. And, like, and at no point in my childhood did we ever have cable internet. That was, like, right, right. a pipe dream. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I, I remember going off to university, had only had dial-up internet, and using the computers at the University of Lethbridge for the first time, and going to a website, and it just loaded. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, that was so fast. I mean, now I, I'd probably go there and be like, this is so slow. But for me, it was just like, that didn't take two minutes to load this page. That's amazing. Yeah, like when when we, when I was a kid, we had 15 minutes of internet time. Mm-hmm. Like that was our our daily allotment. So you'd go down, type in the web page you want to go to, go up, go to the washroom, get a drink, come back down, <laughs> right. see if it was loaded. Like right. it literally took that long. And I think even my my parents were like, like our time would be, like we had a little egg timer thing to tell us when our time was up. And I'd be like, oh, can I have like more time? It's like, did you already 15 minutes? I'm like, well, it didn't load for the first five minutes. Right, right. And they're like, oh, really? Like because I don't think they really used. No. the computer enough to kind of realize how slow it was yeah it's not only been recently and actually not until really my parents started using an ipad that they really started to use the internet in any like extensive way <laughs> it was mostly like it was this icon that was down at the bottom that they never interacted with yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh but no as far as having like mass music like my first my my next thing after having the cd player i had a mini disc player mm. yeah i never had one and of those yeah, that was a pretty fancy thing at the time. Um, and so so that one, I it was a similar situation. I had to burn a bunch of CDs, but the mini discs, you could fit like hundreds of songs yeah. on them. Yeah, no, it was, like, oh, it was a big wow. thing. I remember someone showing me that the first time. I'm like, this is the future. And then it really wasn't. <laughs> uh, I, de- yeah. I definitely had a Discman, which is what I took off uh, mostly in high school and in, in the first little bit of university as well. So kept with my Sony products, and I had my Discman. It did have anti-skip as well, but I mean anti-skip to a to a Ooh. point. I mean, look at you, yeah. anti-skip. <laughs> I know you still couldn't like fling it around too heavily, or it would still not work properly. But yeah, it was like high end <laughs> technology back then. Yeah, no, my my first Discman it did not have anti-skip, <laughs> and then I had friends who had it, and they showed off like their anti-skip. They'd like shake it kind of like this, yeah, yeah. like back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, wow, it's still playing. That's amazing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but if you shook it for like, you know, 30 seconds, then the buffer would run out and then you'd have to, to let it actually come back. Cause it only had a certain amount of time before, like it would pre-record however far ahead so that if it skipped, yes. then it could still keep playing. Right. So, but all that, that, all that advanced technology back in the early '90s and late, or, yeah, or sorry, late '90s and early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's kind of shocking thinking about how recent it was, but how far we've come now. Mm-hmm. Like it's 
like to, to think back then, even before like smartphones, like the mid two thousands, it was like that, that, that seems like distant history it, it, to it, me it, now. It really, yeah. Even MP3 players to an extent is just like, what's an MP3 player? I just have a phone. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like know. a dedicated music storage device. Like who has that anymore? Yeah. Right. It's like small like kids even, and that's about it. Yeah. Even Apple, the I feel like they discontinued the iPod, didn't they? They only have the iPod Touch, but uh, yeah, every other iPod is discontinued. Right. Yeah, so iPod Classic, like the mm-hmm. scroll wheel one. That yeah, one's all gone, yeah. Anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, end, end of an era, for sure. <laughs> end of an era. <laughs> R.I.P. MP3. This show is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ETB. The Alberta Podcast Network is proud to be a sponsor of this year's Pod Summit, Western Canada's podcast conference. Join us May 5th, 2018 at CKOA in Edmonton for a day of learning and connection making, plus some amazing giveaways. If you have a podcast, you will learn how to make it sound amazing, grow your audience, and create a show your listeners will love. If you don't have a podcast, you'll learn how to start one, and we'll be happy to welcome you to the community. Tickets are just $150, and they are limited, so don't delay. Get yours at podsummit.com. See you on May 5th. Thanks to Alberta Podcast Network for sponsoring our show. <laughs> um, so, I guess I guess that kind of brings us to today. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I want to talk a bit about the techno- the actual technology itself sure. and, and where it's at. Because I think for the everyday consumer, they probably won't notice a difference between like one set of headphones over another. I mean, like aside from actual like dollar store headphones, you know, you pick up like a $20 pair of headphones, you're probably fine. Yeah. Um, I think really, uh, yeah, unless you're, you can, you would probably be able to tell the difference between like you're saying, like the, the $20 pair of headphones that are off the rack versus like a studio pair of headphones that have uh, like a lot more dynamic range that can be broadcast through them. Uh, but even then, I, I think the majority of people are fine with the way things sound with on their $20 pair of headphones. Right. So, did you consider yourself, like, an audiophile? Not at all. Like, 100% no. In fact, I still have a hard time, like, really hearing unless I, again, I'm just really focused in on it. The the, the minute differences that you're going to get in, in those things. Um. For for better or for worse, going back to the MP3, I think the MP3 has essentially uh, kind of damaged our appreciation for music in a way. Like I think people still like music, obviously, but in order for those first MP3 players so that we could get as many songs as we wanted onto them, that format just compressed everything down. So everything was kind of this wall of noise. You weren't getting those like high highs and those low lows. But I, again, everyone was kind of fine with that just because good enough is good enough for most people. They don't necessarily need great in that space. Right. You referenced dynamic range. Can you get into that a bit more? Like, I, yeah. I know it has something to do with like frequency bands and that kind of stuff, but like, how does that affect how something sounds? Yeah. The, the biggest, the, the, the biggest, genre i think that gets ruined by this is actually like classical music instrumental music because in there oftentimes in a piece you have things that are very very quiet like the piece starts off like maybe like super quiet and then by the end of it is reached this crescendo where it's like really loud and like cannons are firing if it's the 1812 overture and it just gets super super loud 
and and that is the the best uh, description of it because if you're looking at an actual audio file, the actual waveform where we see those like little squiggly lines that showcase like there's there's sound here. The ones that are smaller are quiet. The ones that are bigger are going to be louder for you. Um, and for our human ear, yeah, we want we we want to hear those 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 differences. If everything is the same level of volume, it actually sounds kind of weird to us because uh, there's not that pitch elevation in our voice that happens that happens naturally. So the dynamic range, yeah, is like it, there is something that's loud, and then there's also something that's quiet, and it's like the difference in between uh, those two. We can get into like decibel levels if we wanted to, which is like. Uh, zero is actually as loud as what most files you want to get up to. If it goes over that, it can sometimes be too loud for us. I can't remember what like a jet engine is and like a car backfiring. They have actually decibel levels that you go into. But when you're mixing, usually, depending on the production and depending on the studio, you're trying to mix it so that the loudest part is getting up to zero. And then the quieter parts, you don't want to go too much below like minus 10. Right. Yeah. And and is that due to limitations of the equipment that you'll be listening on? To to a degree, yes. It's also the human ear. Like we don't like things that are like overly loud. Uh, anything over zero, especially if it's like the human voice, uh, you're losing you're losing fidelity of the voice. The best example I can give is like if you've ever taken a picture before, you know right away if something is overexposed or underexposed. And the same thing happens in audio. If you get and your your audio program that you throw things into will is very good at visually showing you this. If things are going into the red, your voice is going into the red, you're essentially overexposing your voice. You're losing detail that the audio program just cannot capture for you. Uh, so basically what it's going to do is it's, it's going to get really loud and really scrambled, and it just is not going to sound all that good. Uh, reverse of that, if you underexpose it, if it's way too quiet, then of course people can't hear what you're saying. And you can try and like make that louder but that's when you get like the ambient background noise also being raised higher so that fan that's in the background or the car that passed by the window now those get like even louder as well so there is a bit of a science to try and capture like the perfect range of audio so that you have a little bit of options of uh making it sound even a little bit better when you bring it into any audio editing program Hmm. so that's relative to the decibel level or loudness or Correct. amplitude yeah. is there the, on the frequency side of things are the considerations there as well what when, when like say if i'm looking at a pair of headphones are there certain things as far as like frequency i guess frequency response i think is the term that's used yeah and i'll be the first one to admit that i'm not the most knowledgeable on that sort of thing as far as the headphones go what the the biggest one for no no matter if it's like what they call in-ear or on-ear headphones is that you're going to get options for like sound isolation and sound canceling. Uh, And the difference there is that sound uh, isolation is essentially kind of like earmuffs where they're going over your ears. It's going to cut out some of the noise in the background, but you're still going to be able to hear the background. Uh, but it can sometimes cut out a lot so that it's easier to like focus in on the music or the voice that you're listening to. Hopefully the crying baby won't hear so much in the background either, uh, but you'll still hear sounds around you. So good if you're walking on a busy street so that you can hear the car honk its horn at you if you accidentally step in front of it. Whereas sound cancellation, there is actually a microphone placed in the headphones that is picking up the background noise and then taking that and just making... Uh, 
that same noise cancel itself out for you. So it's basically taking the same like decibel levels and everything and doing this weird little algorithm to record what's going on around you, uh, giving an equally and opposite uh, reaction to it to like cancel that actually out. So you're just listening to the music or the voice that you're listening to, which again, those are the best on airplanes so that you hear nothing <laughs> but what you're listening right. to. Uh, I always tell people if I'm, we're talking about headphones is kind of dangerous if you're ever in a situation where someone is yelling at you uh, or trying to <laughs> is trying to warn you about something because you're probably not going to hear it. Right. So, so the sound canceling is like an active, yes. an active thing. And is it sending the flipped signal out? Correct. Or is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So recording like, what's so, going so on around you and then flipping that signal so that that is not being heard at all. Right. It's actually right. what most smartphones actually do nowadays for when you're on a phone call so that whoever's listening to you is hearing your voice but not all the surrounding stuff around you because there's other microphones on the smartphone that are recording it, canceling that out and just picking up your voice and sending that off to the person. Right. Yeah, actually when I I Bluetooth headsets do the same the same kind of thing. Like I know when I bought uh my wife's Bluetooth headset. Mm-hmm. The first, the old one she had, it, it wasn't very good. And this one had some pretty good reviews on, on the noise canceling. So the first time she was using it, like she was speaking to her mom and like her mom didn't even realize that she was in the car. Like oh, wow. okay. the noise canceling was that good that you couldn't even tell yeah. that she wasn't just in a quiet room, which is pre- pretty impressive to me. And and obviously like a car is a good candidate for noise canceling because the ambient noise is usually oh, pretty yeah. consistent. You're like it's not, stuff, it's yeah. not random noise. So like... A car driving on the road is, is a pretty constant kind of like dull roar That's versus right. just kind of like drums crashing in the background. Yeah. Uh, this is a quick little side note. Did you ever pick up like the original Bluetooth headphones when they were st- starting to come out on the market at all? Actually, my first pair of Bluetooth headphones I bought last year. Yeah. Okay. Like last summer. So I I, I was a fairly late adopter for those. Um. Uh, I never had my own pair, but I remember a friend having like one of the first times Bluetooth was a thing, and listening to music was great. It's awesome. It's like yeah, I can like I'm free. I can walk around. I don't need to be tethered to anything. Uh, but it was only music that I would recommend listening to those because it was still new technology. If you tried watching a video, there was always like a one to two second delay <laughs> between the audio transmission, and it was awful <laughs> to try and watch right. audio uh, video. Now it's like simultaneous, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, even like AirPlay, mm. like Apple's uh, standard, like I think that still has a built-in delay mm-hmm. for that. Um, like it it doesn't have a syncing issue. It's, it's more for when you're screen sharing. Yes. There's a delay between um, the video and the audio, right. I believe. So if, if you're screen playing or AirPlaying a screen mirrored video and then sending the audio as well, there'll be like a gap or a delay between it. Yeah. Um, their AirPlay 2 is supposed to not need that because it does a similar kind of buffering type deal Yeah, where it can kind of stream it, sync it, and then like it'll take it, sync it, and then stream it and then have a bit of a buffer so that it kind of gets rid of that necessary delay just based on the uh, the type of transmission that it's using. But yeah, um, yeah I, I have heard that, that when it comes to Bluetooth stuff. I think it's more for like gamers. Yes. If if you're gaming, like you want your audio and video to be synced, yeah, you, you, <laughs> it's pretty critical. Yeah, if you're doing uh, like you, you don't think half a second is much, but it is no. like there is our human brains can see that there is something wrong with yeah. that. Well, I know, like I used to play Counter Strike a lot mm-hmm. back in high school, and like you'd be in a like behind a corner, like and you hear footsteps, but if those footsteps aren't synced with 
the video, then I I don't know. Like you're just gonna have a bad time because yeah, those footsteps exactly. might be legged or ahead, and you're just not gonna be able to re- react the same way. But yeah, yeah, your brain. How am I supposed to you, pwn you, noobs if I can't hear properly? <laughs> I can't do my camp sniping if <laughs> I can't right. hear what's happening. <laughs> uh, so the the other part of, of audio that I've been trying to, to grasp is, I mean, and, and it's more relevant to recording, mm-hmm. like whether it's podcasting or, or video recording, I guess, is like the environmental yeah. effects. Like you talked about background noise and stuff. Like, I mean, you, you can't see it, but in front of or behind my monitors in front of me there's a bunch of like pillows stacked yeah, up right, behind right. my monitors to try to absorb noise because back before i had them i had quite a bit of echo yes that came because like the mic that i have is i guess is called a condenser mic looks like it yeah yeah so it it i guess it's it has good quality but it picks up a lot of background noise Correct. yeah yeah compared to a dynamic dynamic yeah which is a bit more of a directed recording right um so so I have like just all the pillows and I maybe you can describe what how your booth is yeah. cuz you're you're standing in an audio recording booth right I now. I am. Right? I am inside of a recording booth right now. So instead of pillows I actually have these soundproof like styrofoam baffles that are kind of all around me. I have a nice little shielded blanket behind me to also shield me in. So my voice sounds silky smooth coming through <laughs> when I nice. when I send you this file afterwards. There are some <laughs> great tutorials though online on YouTube that you can see like to dress up your room very very easily. Pillows work really really well. Um a curtains can also work for you very very <laughs> well and like pasting those up on the wall just so that you don't have quite a uh forceful like reverb when you speak because when you speak and if it hits a flat surface it is going to bounce back at you a little bit doesn't matter where you are uh what these baffles and what your pillows are doing are, are softening that so even though when it comes back it's not coming back quite so hard or quite so forcefully for you which is which is nice so there's different ways to, to dress that up um uh, specifically, the, the, different microphones will definitely help as well. Some that are very, very directional, so they can cut out some of the background noise that might be going on in a room. And there's other ones like uh, lapel mics, right? Those ones that you can clip on to your shirt or something like that. Again, those are only going so far, so they should be able to reach your, your mouth and like pick up your noise, but should not be picking up a bunch of the other stuff going on around you as well, unless it's like super, super loud, and then it might pick it up. So there's different ways to kind of dress a room and different mics to kind of consider depending on the environment that you're in. Do you have much experience with like, sh- I think it's called shotgun mics? Yep. I-, I use some of that too for, for interviews. If I ever go out into the field and want to do like a This American Life style <laughs> program <laughs> and sort of thing. So yes, I've had, I've had uh, experience with shotgun mics. Those ones are great because they, they pick up sound really, really well. No matter what you're pointing at, it's like there's like that line and it can sometimes be like it's a hundred feet away but it's picking up that thing that i'm pointing at like right over there so oh really yeah trying depending on the amplitude and all the other stuff that you can play around with 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 those as well but if you point it at someone's face then they, it should be picking up them um yeah so shotgun mics are great because again they're probably not going to be picking up you <laughs> very much so you'd have to hold the mic towards your your mouth and stuff to to pick that up um you can also get the very like if you the the standard microphone that like a reporter uses on on the news those also work really really well if you're out in the field and that's the type of program that you're wanting to create but for like a podcaster yeah it 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 would seem that like i mean the the 
snowball mm. or the the yeti is it, or no yeti yep. makes the snowball right yeah yeah blue blue um, is the company and they make the snowball and they make the yeti yeah and then like mine's the samson meteor so that one's mm-hmm. another common uh condenser mic but like i've seen some of the shotgun mics out there too yes and they, they seem to be pretty good for podcasting but they always say that oh they're great for like video because mm. you, you're pointing a camera and then like it's directional already but like yes intentionally directional and then you have the mic pointing where the camera's pointing so it makes sense that it's good for video but it didn't seem that it was very applicable to like podcasting yeah it's 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 weird because i think that with an audio only format before i actually get into this this is very much personal preference i think but there's lots of arguments you can get onto online about this but for podcasting with the audio only format i do like the way that uh, condenser mics make people's voices sound more. So it's a much more full, rich sound and almost more real, I I find to my ear. Whereas the shotgun mic is picking up your voice really well, but there's almost a little bit of detachment that I find from it because it is cutting out some of the ambient noises that are inside the room. So Hmm. right away, it's almost this artificial sound that's being created uh, for you so it's kind of this weird <laughs> give and take right. depending on what format you're in or what you need to need to do sort of thing right well I was, I was joking about the the keyboard clacks but that that's actually one of the things that i do i i like hearing that in a podcast mm-hmm. it's like it kind of it kind of brings you into the room with them a little bit like like when I'm listening to a podcast, I, f- I feel like I'm a part of the conversation with them. Yeah. So when I hear like the keyboard clacking or the clicks or the cheer squeak or that kind of thing, like it, it almost adds something. Yeah. It depends on the host and, and, and how well they can carry on a conversation. Cause I do agree with you. It's, it's really awkward because I, I was just talking about this somewhere. I think it was actually on my podcast yesterday. Anyways, it, which is the, I go onto Reddit sometimes. Well, I go onto Reddit every day, but I mean, sometimes I doesn't. Yeah, (laughs) sometimes I go into the subreddit for like podcasters and podcasting, and I read certain threads, and I leave convinced that nobody likes podcasting (laughs) because it's something like like, (laughs) I hate it when there's music in a podcast, and I hate it when like uh, the hosts squeak their chair, and I hate it when this happens. I'm like, but that's that's what a podcast is. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. um, that sort of thing. But uh, we, you referenced before we started recording Roderick on the Line, which is one of my favorite podcasts. But that is the most lowest tech podcast that you can possibly yeah. hear. It's literally just like raw audio, any mistake, any uh, cough, any keyboard overbearing clacking. Is this, it's all in there and you're, yeah. you're hearing the whole thing. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the cough is like a signature of the show. Yeah, yeah. It is. It very, very much is. They use that as a transition into like ad reads sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, I actually don't really like the overly produced podcasts. Mm-hmm. Like, like the NPR saw podcasts. Sure. That's just not, that's, it's a radio show, right? Which mm-hmm. is fine. Like if that's what you like and what you're looking for. But, but for me, I like hearing conversations and very like natural as opposed to, like an overly produced with like a narrator and then like transitions back and forth between segments. Like it's that that's just not the kind of style that I prefer. Mm-hmm. So, so all the ones I listen to, they're very, very much. Yeah. You know, keyboard clacks and right. coughs and like, I mean, like it's, it's part of the experience for me. 
Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to feel more like I'm I'm part of them. There's a a comedy podcast that I listen to, and there's a little bit of production on it, but really it's just them for like an hour, which is my brother, my brother and me, which is oh I've heard of that one, yeah, it's, it's bam. yeah, my bim bam, which is fairly popular <laughs> out there nowadays. But I've always felt that, which is like. I'm in the middle of these people goofing around for an hour and I'm totally fine with that. I don't need something more <laughs> than yeah. than these three people making fun of things. Blockchain. You may have heard about blockchain as it relates to cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Blockchain plays a part in making sure transactions are secure and verifiable. ATB has already been leveraging blockchain technology in how international money transfers between financial institutions are made, and they are also building systems for maintaining identity records with that same technology. ATB is also tackling a very local topic, Oil Settlement Day. Oil Settlement Day happens on the 25th of every month, where representatives across the energy industry would meet to balance their respective books with each other. As this involves many transactions that require scrupulous record-keeping and traceability, ATB recognized it as a perfect candidate for similar application of blockchain. ATB has developed a blockchain proof-of-concept with the help of IBM that has the potential to make Oil Settlement Day a quick, frictionless, and transparent experience for all members involved. It provides a completely secure and private blockchain system that all participants in the transaction can access. Once contracts are entered into the blockchain system, users will have universal and permission visibility of their own contracts, which means that when Oil Settlement Day rolls around on the 25th, the system can take care of all transactions almost instantly. No more manual money moving at your local branch, and no more clients staring at their bank accounts waiting for funds to arrive. Just slick transactions happening at a scheduled time, but with more trust. This could have a huge positive impact both on the oil industry in Alberta and worldwide, as well as on how ATB does business every day. To learn more about this and many other projects ATB is working on, head to atbalphabeta.com. Thanks to ATB for supporting our show. <laughs> so, I, I'm very curious about your your media lab so, yeah. so your sound booth it's, it's in your media lab it is, yeah. you, you built that yourself presumably or at least with help of with help people. yeah not, not with help <laughs> with my bare hands i created this <laughs> many bare hands yeah. um so like if if you're if you're willing will, will you give a bit of of insight and maybe, maybe tell a bit of a story of how how that came about how media lab just, came about just, yeah the, the whole thing I'm, yeah. I'm very curious because i think a lot of people will take something like podcasting and just they they hear professional podcasters and say, oh, I'd, I'd love to get into that and make that my job. Even if it's not being a podcaster, but just something related to podcasting or tech or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But but it's to to take it from being a hobby to a career. Yeah. And a lively livelihood. Like how how do you do that? How did you do that? And how <laughs> have you brought it to the point where it is now? Through sheer force of will. Uh, <laughs> so the the quick story about this is that. My first love was was YouTube and online video, and I was a big, big fan of the stuff that was being produced on there. And I, I happened to be in California for a convention this one year, and I was like, oh, I'm here in L.A. I should go and see the YouTube space, which is owned by Google, and it's kind of a similar concept, whereas there's uh, video production sites and like green screens and the cameras and editing stations and the whole nine yards. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. And they did some quick research to see where it was. And then I found out from their website that, oh, I can't actually go there. I can't even get into the building unless I have a certain <laughs> amount of subscribers. So I was like, yeah. oh, well, 
good that I didn't make the trip over there and find it out when I got there. Yeah. I think when when I heard about that, because I always heard about, like, one of my, I guess you'd call it a dream. One of my ambitions is to go to Silicon Valley and do a bunch of, like, like the, the whole, like, the Silicon Valley tourist type right, thing, right? right like, right. or the, the tech tourist, whatever you want to call it. Sure. And I was like, oh, I'll see, like, Facebook, and I'll see Apple. Right, right. And I'll see all these cool, and, and then, like, people are like, you, you, you can't actually tour them, you know? Like, right. you can go stand outside the building, but you can't actually, like... <laughs> Take your picture like, by the sign, and that's about it. That's yeah. the whole reason why I wanted to go. Like, I wanted to see, like, the, I mean, like, not the offices, but just see like a do a tour i don't know like you go to the empire state building you do a tour you go where like that's right. i thought it was the same kind of thing you, right? but you go and like, meet king no. kong on the top floor like every <laughs> every tourist in new york uh yeah, yeah so it, it's it, like, it is interesting how walled off they really are <laughs> for for the most part <laughs> um yeah i mean so i was really disappointed i was sitting on the plane i'm like oh this bums me out i wish that there was a place here in calgary at least that there was a you know video producers and and other creators could come and join in and learn from each other and just have access to all this equipment and then that was when the light bulb went off and i was like oh well maybe maybe i could be the person who does that uh, because i'm a narcissist <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah that that was my that was my journey in that it took me about 18 months from that initial idea on the plane for it to actually become a real thing and that was going in like finding money from the bank and from family members and getting the equipment and finding a place to actually have it from, uh, all this kind of stuff layered on to, to, to be where we are today where it's open running and you can kind of come and use all the stuff that's here and come and join in all the education that's also being provided from, from, from media lab. Cool. So like you just, you just did it. I just, that, that, that's, that's kind of what it sounds yeah, like. There, I, there's no, that's the there's com- no, se- there's no secret recipe. There's no, like you didn't go to like a guru and, and get guidance. It's like, I'm going to do that. And you, so you did. Yeah. That's basically what I did. I mean, I definitely had help along the way. I even did have a business coach for a little bit just oh, cool. to point me in the right direction. But a lot of it was just like, I know I want this to be a thing. So I'm just going to make it be a thing. And then roll a dice and see where we go from there really it's been a huge uh learning curve for me now being a business owner having never really thought that i would be an entrepreneur that wasn't anything that i was aspiring to be necessarily but i kind of just found myself in that position and now i read a lot of books and try and figure out how i'm supposed to do this (laughs) and really what you find out is that nobody knows (laughs) it's like it's like when i became when I was in like my mid twenties and I came to this crushing realization that like, Oh, I thought like by now I would just know what, what an adult was supposed to do in situations. And then I looked around like, Oh, nobody knows. Everyone's just making this up as they go along. (laughs) And that was both kind of terrifying and liberating at the same time. Right. It's interesting because like my wife right now, like we've like, and I guess both of us for that matter, will often kind of like think about like, we should start a business, right? right? Yeah. Like, you know, you get to a point in your, in your life or your career where it's like, I mean, you, you've, you've been working however long, but you feel that you could do things better than other people. Yeah. Kind of. Right. 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 And not in like, not in like a egoistic way. Maybe it is, but it's like, it's like, I could do this. I I, I could, I could do this better than what's being offered right now. Right. Yeah. And, and whatever that, that thing is. But then you start thinking about the logistics of it yeah. or the financials of it and, and you start trying to crunch numbers and all that kind of stuff. And every time we come to the realization that if you think about it too much and try to 
make that decision to start your own business as a, this makes financial sense. Like yeah. you're never going to start your own business. Like yeah. it just, I mean, and the thing you know is, about, I, mean? I mean, there is calculated risks and there's like really like you needed to workshop this a little bit more. There's always going to be those two extremes, but I mean, the two examples I always give to this sort of thing, especially the people who are like, hmm, I don't know if that's like a great idea, is that uh, the the famous quote from Henry Ford who said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, right? It's like, well, I decided <laughs> to make a car and then it made everyone look and be like, oh, yeah, no, that is actually what I want is this thing over here. And that was the whole right. philosophy of Steve Jobs for the longest time, right? It's like everyone's going to want a computer, even though everyone t- told him, was like, no, no one's going to want a computer in their house. And he's like, no people are going to want this and I'm going to make it happen and show people that they actually do want this. Um, And then kind of slowly force the industry upon everyone. Right. But I mean, it's not like those like Henry Ford or or Steve Jobs or even any other business person who's starting up their own business today punches numbers in a calculator and comes up with a number greater than what they're making now. It's like, oh, I'll go do that. Yeah, exactly. It's typically always going to be lower, if not zero, if not negative. Yeah. For the first few years, you're going to be running like deficits and and being in so much debt. Yeah. No, and like you said, there is a risk, right? So if if you're not willing to take a risk, then it's probably not for you at that point in time, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, but no, that's really cool that that, I mean, you're doing it now. And have have you found people using Media Lab in ways that you didn't expect, or 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 you didn't anticipate a certain aspect of it to be as well received or as utilized as it has been? Um, there's two things I guess I'll say about that. Number one, like the original concept of the idea was, I thought that individuals would be coming in and using this. And what has become much more interesting and much more eye-opening is that there's so many businesses who want to come in and use it and for both podcasting and video services where it's like we need help with our video strategy or we need help by creating a podcast for our clients because we think that they would enjoy it and i just did not even really conceptualize that need necessarily i thought there Mm -hmm. might be but it's like wow okay there's much more demand out there than i'd even thought uh previously so that was a little bit eye-opening. The other one is actually right before I opened, I actually had this realization. Because again, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure that most people are going to come in here for video work. And right as I was opening Media Lab, I was like looking at some reports and some things about podcasting and the audio space in general. I'm like, you know what? No, I think I think getting started here, there's going to be so many people coming in and using the podcast services, which has turned out to be right. It's like That is by far what the majority of people come in for. Hmm. Now, do you offer the creative services as well when people come in to do recordings and stuff? I do. So you can come in and just use the space to record your thing for like $35 an hour. You can come in and record for as long as you want within that hour, obviously, or go longer if you need to. And then there's package deals if you want me then to edit that uh, information for you. Or you take the file and you do whatever you want with it at that point. Hmm. I think, you know, like we were, we were talking about before, like I have just started getting into the editing side of things. Like yep. a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, the people doing the podcasts also do the editing, obviously. Um, and they'll often talk about it on their shows. Yeah. And it's always interested me, like the, the types of considerations that go into editing and the creative control that people have, like the cutting and like inserting sounds or the ads and like all this kind of stuff that that was always 
very fascinating to me and and I always wanted to try it. Yeah, yeah. Um but like Rob has always been the one doing that because like he had experience doing that and it it was easier just to have him kind of do it for all the shows that we do. For sure. Um but this has kind of been my opportunity the last couple couple shows to to try my hand at it and is definitely a lot more involved and easy to screw things up. Oh yeah. Than uh than I would have realized like this last uh episode of Future Chat like with the three of us and and I think it's more just my the the order that I was doing things in because I wasn't really you know no no fault of Rob's though he did say oh I probably could have told you that in hindsight but <laughs> when I was loading in the tracks and doing my cuts like I'd load in like all the voice tracks plus like the ad track plus like mm. the intro music track all at the same time Right, right. Instead of doing all my edits on just the voice and then inserting in the other yeah. stuff after. Classic mistake. <laughs> yeah. So then I was doing like the cutting. I was like, I'd forget to select one of the tracks. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. so then, <laughs> so like I, we've all that been actually there. ended up happening that, yeah, it ended up happening that I think one of the tracks was misaligned slightly because I trusted that everyone clicked their button at the right time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so that didn't work. And Rob was like, oh, you're supposed to align it like based on this conversation, like the actual speech. I'm like, well, I don't – it, it looked fine. Like, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's the interesting thing because you're only looking at waveforms is that you can visually see certain things, but you do still have to kind of listen back in many cases to make sure you've actually done it right. Whereas video editing is like when I do something, oh, I can see right away, did that work, did that not work uh, sort of yeah. thing. So there is a – it's a little bit tricky. And then you're you're dealing with – uh, especially when there's like three different tracks of people recording. Well, this person's voice is maybe too low, so I have to bump that up, and he's too high, so let me put him down, and like trying to make sure that <laughs> it all sounds proper. Right. What types of uh, I I don't know if you'd call them filters, mm. but what what types of algorithms do you apply to audio when you're doing your your audio editing? Uh, I've definitely gotten better at this, and if you listen to any of my early episodes of either of my podcasts, you can tell that I didn't do this. <laughs> but uh, nowadays, every every single track usually gets a compressor thrown onto it, which just allows things like uh, the uh, the the lowest one, uh, the lowest parts of the track are going to get bumped up, and if the highest parts are going to get bumped down, and you can control like this is like the highest point I want you to bring down and this is the lowest point I want you to bring up so that everything kind of meets in the middle a little bit and then you can still take that 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 file and still raise the whole track up or down depending on what you need. So definitely a compressor. Um, and then that's re- honestly at this point really the only real big thing that I put on. I don't do any type of effects normally to like deepen people's voices uh, or, or anything like that. Um, so yeah, compressors are kind of the biggest one that I, that I use currently. Hmm. And do you, do you have a process, like a certain order that you do things in? Like if you, if you have say a couple voice tracks and then, you know, a couple sound effects tracks and then yeah, yeah. like whether it's music or whatever, and then like a couple ad tracks kind of thing. Yeah. That's usually the, the way it is. So, um, we'll use assumptions as a, as an example. So there's going to be my track and Daniel's track. I'll throw a compressor on both of ours. I'll listen to like the first couple of minutes to see how that sounds. And either usually what that means is bumping my voice up because my voice isn't usually quieter because <laughs> I talk a little bit quieter and Daniel's is very loud. So I usually have to bring him down a little bit so that we sound at about the same level in that case. And that's a flat, 
a decibel adjustment or is it a compressor type? That's a compressor thing. that does it for me. Okay. And then right. after that, I'll yeah, either raise or lower the track's decibel level as I, as I feel like I need to. Then once I've listened through the whole thing and uh, I've cut out any awkward pauses, maybe sometimes we made some mistakes or uh, yeah, any, any, anything like that that I think just helps out the audio track. What I'll then do is bring in the music. Music I always find is mixed really loud, so I usually have to bring that down a little bit just so it's not super overbearing. Uh, make sure that that fades out in the proper ways. And then I usually do the ad reads afterwards. So I do the ad reads on assumptions. So once I have it the way I need to, I try and find a place in the middle where I can do my little ad break. I'll make my cut, separate the two out, and then do my ad read, and then do my outro at the very end, put that in there, and then call it done. Right. I think that was my my mistake this last time was trying to do... Like I tried to do everything linearly as I went. So right. okay, so my first mistake was starting from the beginning. <laughs> sure. Um, instead of starting at the end, so that as you're as you're cutting and shifting, like your right. timestamp. So so like when I'm writing down my timestamps for my editing, what I do is I go to my first timestamp, make my edit, and they'll go to my next one. But I've shifted it because right, I've either right. cut or done whatever. So my timestamp shifted. So by the time I get to my last one, it's like not anywhere close to where I originally put it. Mm-hmm. So if you're editing timestamps, it's better to start at the end and work your way backwards because then at least all your timestamps stay where they're oh, supposed absolutely. to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was my first mistake. Then my next mistake was I brought in all my tracks at the same time. So then... Again, and again, starting at the beginning. So my tracks at the end, I had to make sure to select that track on the cut so that it shifted appropriately the right amount. Again, instead of doing it at the end, once I've already made my edits and I'm just inserting in all the extra stuff that don't need to be cut. (laughs) Sure. Um, So again, like this took, though the whole editing of the thing, I think took a couple hours when it should have taken like... 15 minutes <laughs> I just made things way way harder for myself than they should have been yeah. but again like I guess I almost preferred to have experienced that and seen you know that that's probably not a good way than someone just saying oh do this and this and this because of this yeah. but not realizing that there is actually a good reason for it like just kind of taking their word for it like oh I guess that makes sense but What's your- having done it myself and seeing what it's like if you don't do that thing I think that helps a lot more because then i'll actually remember like i don't want to get into that situation oh yeah i mean that's like one of my biggest (laughs) lessons and and i always loved him for it um well a having a project when you're trying to learn a program is like the best way to learn a program (laughs) because you are actually like i needed to do this so i have to figure out how to do this uh back when i was for a very short time a technician to like repair phones smartphones and stuff like that uh, the person that was teaching me told me, it's like, okay, we need to replace the screen. Can you just replace the screen? So I blah, 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 do all my thing, put the screen back on, put it in, try to turn it on. It doesn't turn on. Uh-oh. Right? I was like, oh, oh, no. What what happened? He's like, well, you forgot to attach that one cable, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me? He's like, well, now you'll never do it again because now you have to undo the entire thing on the phone, redo everything that you just did. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So that was a great teaching moment and uh, one that I really value. Sometimes you have to make a mistake to be like, I'm never going to do that ever again. Yeah. Especially when the mistake isn't like catastrophic. Right. That you can easily fix it. Um. Like at, at work, that happens all the time when I'm when I'm training someone or just showing someone something new. Yeah. And you know you let them 
try it a certain way first, let them struggle with it for a bit. And then you just say, oh, you know, how's it going? And then it's like, oh, you know, I'm trying It's like, oh, you know, have you tried it this way? I'm like, oh, that was way easier. Right. But at least like you give them a chance to like discover that themselves. And if they don't do that, then they'll remember having tried it. Yeah. And like you said, you know, then they won't kind of do it that way again because they've already seen what kind of situation they get into. Yeah. Initially, it sounds mean, but letting people struggle a little bit is a great way for people to learn properly. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Again, as long as it's not a catastrophic thing that can be <laughs> right. easily undone. Like, no, I will let them you're... rear end that truck in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> or, if, or if you're like building a house, you like pour the foundation wrong. It's like <laughs> right, right, you, right. Can't, you can't really redo that as easily. Those aren't but if nails you're like, that you're using. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're like building a fence and you're making some cuts and it's like, oh, you know, you should try it this way. Then at least that's a little bit more. Yeah more easy to to fix right, right. than than some other situations for sure <laughs> what's uh what editing oh you said audacity is what you use correct yeah uh like i, I record in audacity and i guess yeah. it has enough enough uh tools in it to to do its for own sure. editing as well mm-hmm. um rob uses the adobe product Aud- audition audition that's yeah, the one yeah, yeah. yeah okay great um so i think that one's a bit more fancy yeah it's more robust there's a lot more things you can add into it yeah because he was mentioning he has like some templates saved mm, great and i don't know if audacity does templates but it seems like it'd be a useful thing especially like you said if every if every episode has like two odd two voice tracks yeah. you know two music tracks and and an ad right yeah, then you can at least you can kind of throw it in save that same kind of same kind of thing so i'll have to play around with that a little bit more but uh but oh i you know you you mentioned about getting into the video youtube side of things yeah. like that had always interested me as well um especially having like done podcasting and it seems like a kind of a natural thing to to get into or to at least experiment mm. with and I've, I've done a couple videos but they're not usually like featuring me sure yeah yeah they're just kind of like hey i'm in this place check it out or i mean like we we obviously post the the episodes that we record here yeah. on on the podcast but we're we're not really making them to be video mm-hmm. produced. No, just... but I think that's what I like about podcasting too, which is that in in a video format, you you do have to understand certain things, like especially if this is something that you want for like lots of people to see. Like it does have to be framed in a certain way. You do have to like <laughs> be presentable in some type of form uh, and that sort of thing. And with a podcast, I think like you need a microphone. Uh, you need a computer or a smartphone nowadays is all you really need. And as long as you can speak about what you're passionate about, then that's all you really need as far as a setup. You don't have to worry about like lighting and camera placement and all this other stuff that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can definitely tell a lot more when someone's video setup is bad or good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> compared to like audio, it's like if it sounds good, if it sounds okay. Yeah then you you probably can't tell too much and it's a lot easier to get a good or okay sounding audio than it is to get a good looking video i think yeah uh, yeah cuz like you were talking about with like the blue yeti or even the snowball there are still in the in the iTunes charts like top 100 subscribed to podcasts that is still the microphone that they use you can make it sound really really good by just having a pretty inexpensive microphone mhm yeah no absolutely like I mean, like a lot of even the 
the local like Calgary video creators, like mm-hmm. a lot of their videos are very professional looking. Yeah. Like I'm very, very impressed by them. And, and I think that's kind of what encouraged me a bit to think a bit more about getting into the video production side of things. Cause it, it does look really cool and a good looking video would be pretty rewarding, I think. But yeah, I mean like it's a huge time sink, like even more so than, than podcasting and, and editing that podcast because sure. you have the actual production time, like the recording time of the video plus the editing of it. And the editing would probably be, 10 times oh, yeah. more tricky I don't know than, how, than the audio. how many, <laughs> I'll call it wasted time, but like waiting for even just video to import onto a computer is sometimes just like time <laughs> consuming. Whereas yeah. audio, even if I record it separately on say like an, a Zoom recorder or something, it's there in like five, 10 seconds. It does, even if it's an hour long show, it's like, here, it's there. And now you can start to edit it. With video, it's like minutes upon minutes that it takes to import. And then you import, put, open it up in your video editor. And then you have to put it into there. And then that has to transcode sometimes. And so it's like, okay, it's been an hour and I still haven't actually started editing any video yet. Yeah. I don't feel if you listen to any of uh, CGP Gray's podcasts, right. but he, he'll often bring up, you know, his his struggles with, computer hardware and and trying to find something that works for him and always looking for something like better and faster kind of thing right yeah. and like for sure I, I can understand what benefit there is to having a fast and powerful computer to do that because like yeah even exporting the you know mp3 file like the just encoding it mm-hmm. it took a couple minutes like yeah. it wasn't crazy but it was, it was minutes yeah. when computers these days are usually like seconds or instant right, for right. a lot of stuff right it's like wow this is this is this actually takes an amount of time. That's right. That's but right. yeah, I, I can't imagine like a video and having to upload like a 25 minute video kind of thing with, with all the edits and all that kind of stuff into it. That's cool. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's next for media lab? Are we, uh, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good open question. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you mentioned about like the, the, the companies, like the corporate side of things. And like, I know there, there's a lot of businesses out there that are kind of big on the social media stuff. Yeah. Like they, they're using that to their advantage to access their audience, to, to give value to their brand, all that kind of stuff. It, that does actually, you know, talking about it, it does seem like a pretty good fit for, for Media Lab to yeah. cater to that market, I think. So it's interesting because I just spent part of this morning really strategizing about what my strategy is going to be moving forward in both video strategies and audio strategies. So stay tuned for that. Uh, There's a new website being built for me too, which should hopefully be up and running here within the next couple of weeks, which is is good because honestly all I had up there was basically like, here's some stuff about Media Lab as I opened up just so that there was something there and some sort of presence. But now I need to go a little bit deeper and allow people to book more effectively and stuff online as well. I think that there is two components to this, which is that there is the um, obvious like Media Lab is here as a community service for you to come in and be able to use equipment and learn from uh, or learn on it and and all that good stuff collaborate with other with other people but there's also like the production side of things right now that's basically focused on my own personal like youtube channel and podcast that i'm making but there's other ideas i have i'm taking meetings here in the next couple of weeks to start to layer on other productions that i want to have under the media lab banner more more specifically I could see in in the future, and what I'm what I'm kind of working towards is uh, to be kind of an, an umbrella 
term. I, 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 you're probably familiar with companies like uh, Gimlet or Maximum Fun or Earwolf. These are all three of those are podcasting companies who have like dozens of podcasts underneath them. Uh, mm. They don't like have any editorial control over what happens on those podcasts, but they're all kind of part of something uh, on a, like a specific network of, of shows. So if you are someone who is like their Patreon supporter, you get like extra little goodies and stuff in the background and stuff as well. I can, I can see media lab turning into something like that, which is I'm here helping to produce a lot of content. Uh, I'm not telling you what to make your content on. I'm just here to help you and, uh, hopefully give some money as far as like the big pool that's coming in and stuff as well. Uh, that's what I'm working towards here at least. So there's the stuff I'm producing, hopefully stuff that I can start to produce for other people as well and constantly having educational opportunities. I'm really trying to figure out the sweet spot for that, which is like time of day, time of the week topics, like what drives people to want to come in? What is it that people want to learn about and making sure that there's value for when they do come out here and and uh, learn about that so hmm. lots of stuff that's coming out cool yeah i i've you know i've attended a couple of the the sessions that you've hosted mm-hmm. for which was a the podcast meetup group yeah there's, i believe it's called on, podcasters yeah, i think it was called calgary casters i think is what it's called oh, now. okay yeah yeah oh because yeah it's for video video and audio casting i think that that was the idea behind i think yeah it's supposed to be for both yeah yeah, so so that that's really cool. Um, and then I know that you're partnering. I've seen a couple events pop up on your page about partnering with a couple other local local businesses. I think you're doing an art show, yeah, art exhibit. That's actually thing. tonight as we record this, we're doing a, oh, cool. a photography showing. So a local photographer's coming in and showing off his work. Um, there's another a person who just joined the Alberta Podcast Network, Callum Lichen, who does the Bothy Storytelling Podcast. He's going to be hosting a storytelling workshop for basically an entire day here at the end of April. Um, yeah, there's just a bunch of bunch of stuff that's going on. Cool. Yeah, it, it seems like partnerships are a pretty key yeah. strategy, especially for a local business. Um, like like these days, you, you can't go, you know, 100 feet without seeing someone who serves like Fiasco Gelato or like Rosso Coffee. <laughs> that's that so true. Thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think because it, like... Yeah. I mean, like, and is is really good, like, for the brand, just brand recognition, but also just from a distribution aspect. It's like, like these places they have the brick and mortar stores, but you don't need to be at the store to get the product. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, and there's actually partnerships I'm trying to form that way, as well as uh, I won't say what it is yet, but there's an idea I have in the back of my head that I, I can see uh, being able to attend Media Lab stuff, but not having to necessarily come to Media Lab. So, <laughs> yeah. asterisks on that, and we'll find out more about that soon. <laughs> um, and what I've really taken as a uh, example is that the craft beer industry here in Alberta has really blown up over the last few years. And there's so many different breweries that are now opened up in Calgary, and they have their restaurants that they usually have attached to their breweries as well. But every single person that's in that community is helping each other out. So even though there's like two dozen of them nowadays, they're not like, I'm going to crush my competition here in Calgary. It's like, no, like, let me tell you how we did this for our business. Maybe that'll help you out and attract more customers to yours. And like, we can help uh, share ideas back and forth. And I think that that is maybe the new way of doing business, which is that I don't need to treat everyone as a foe. I can like bring everybody in and we can help each other out going forward. Yeah. 
yeah, the whole, you know, rising tide makes the ship grow stronger, whatever the, <laughs> the saying is. Um, yeah, two in the bush is worth seven in the hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like, I mean, just like thinking, it's like you, you walk into an electronic store, like a computer store or whatever, and I mean, like a lot of places, they're they're good about knowing what they're talking about. Like Memory Express, they usually have pretty good experiences with, yep. and they have their kind of service desk. But I mean, nothing against Best Buy, but I mean, <laughs> you walk into Best Buy, you're not going to have a good time if, if you don't really know what you're looking for or, or kind of need that help. I'm like, not to blanket everyone. Cause I'm sure there's sure. experience. And, I, know, I never trust there, a but... person in khakis. I just, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I, I think that type of thing, though it could be more of like a, a competition aspect. But if, if you say, you know, Hey, I, I'm, I'm an expert in this and I'd like to have kind of like a media lab set up in your store that people could come and, and consult with and, you know, sign up for classes or workshops and that kind of thing. That, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool because the, your audience or your, your target demographic is in those stores anyway. And, and then it helps the stores themselves. They can advertise, Hey, we have a media lab in our store, absolutely but they don't have to, they don't have to be hiring people based on like, well, how much do you know about microphones? Right. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, well, the media lab can take care of that. Right. Or, and, you know, you can cross train and whatever employees as well, but at least to have say you know hey we have a media lab in our store so that people will go make a point to go there if they're looking for audio devices or whatever right yeah absolutely or video or that kind of thing so no i i think that that's really promising that you're you're growing these partnerships and and having these events and that kind of stuff and i'm excited to see where it goes because there really isn't anything like it yeah in calgary which is right? which is and the i mean awesome like just part, the, yeah. the concept of it like you have studios like recording studios yeah but those are typically like hundreds to I don't want to say thousands of dollars an hour, but hundreds of dollars an hour mm-hmm. to, to get time in. Right. And you're, you're kind of fitting into a different, different niche yeah. or different, Come with some uh, friends. different purpose. Come with some friends, 35 bucks an hour for your audio recording, uh, or $70 an hour. If you want to come and film some stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So where can people find you online, Kyle? Uh, in so many different places. I am the Kyle Marshall. That's Marshall with two L's on pretty much every platform except for YouTube, which is the unfortunate part. Uh, but Kyle Marshall, if you just search for Kyle Marshall, you'll find me on YouTube. Uh, as far as Media Lab goes, that one has a little bit more integration. It is Media Lab YYC on every single platform. Oh, look at you. I know. C- get, getting that name everywhere you need to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's rare. It is to, rare. To be able to find your, to find your name in, in all the platforms. <laughs> cool. And yeah, like we said, uh, you can find Kyle's podcast, Assumptions on AlbertaPodcastNetwork.com mm-hmm. and uh, your other show. Whatever this is on uh, Apple Podcasts, you'll find us there or on Google Play or really pretty much anywhere you download podcasts. Cool. And I'm, I'm sure your, your your shows are all on your Twitter profile. Oh yeah, whatever. they're all over the place. I'm sure you can find it there. I am I am lousy with self promotion. 